nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, and welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I am really happy to be here today uh, to talk with you about a, a very huge issue in our country, and I'm sure around the world, um, due to many different reasons, but um, we're not going to probably go into the background stuff as much as talking about what's going on. So the title of our segment today is called Specialized Mental Health Services for Children, Youth, and Families. This is kind of a broad general term, but uh, my guests that will be on today are dealing with uh, children, youth, and families. So I think this is a perfect opportunity. So mental illness is not exclusive to any specific age, race, ethnic background, religion, or sex. It exists in the form of anxiety and depression to deep and profound PTSD, trauma, to extreme psychosis. It is an issue that has been mishandled pretty much throughout the history of humankind because we did not know how to deal with it. And so we ignored it, we hid it away, and maybe uh, for some periods of time, people who had mental health issues um, were tortured and uh, many times kept away from the rest of us. Uh, In the 70s, um, a lot of the mental health institutions closed, which the idea was to put people back with their families or back in the community and into um, street mental health issues. I guess like that a mental health uh, uh, facility would be on almost every corner. Uh, Unfortunately, it was McDonald's that went to that and not our mental health. And so many um, people with mental uh, mental health issues were just left to function on their own and families to do the same. So it seems like what we do need now is a fresh light on the issues and more importantly, the people and programs that can help. So my guests today are Dr. Michelle Murray. CEO, and Linda Barnhart, a board member from the Nexus Youth and Family Solutions. Um, full disclosure, uh, Linda did work at the same organization that I did in St. Paul, but she was coming in as I was leaving, so we didn't have a lot uh, of connection there. And then also that Nexus, the Nexus home office is in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but they also have facilities and work with, um, I think, at least four other states. So, Dr. Murray, could you, um, I'd like to welcome you in and um, ask you to say hello and give us a brief overview of your bio and how you came to this fight for mental health for children and families. Well, thank you, um, Leanne, for having both of us on. I'm excited to talk about this topic because, as you mentioned, it doesn't get as much attention sometimes as it needs. Mm -hmm. Well, and I have always worked in the mental health space working with really the most difficult children and families throughout my career, uh, those who need probably the most help 
I started off as a family therapist. My, my training is actually in marriage and family therapy. I have both my master's and my doctorate in marriage and family therapy, and I started off as a family therapist in a children's residential treatment facility where kids go who cannot find help in other places and just moved up in different various positions throughout those organizations and came to Nexus about nine years ago um, working with this wonderful agency where we focus on residential treatment. We also provide outpatient community-based mental health services as well as foster care and adoption. And we deal heavily with mental health and with trauma. Wow, that is, thank you, thank you, thank you a million times, thank you, because so many of us that just feel like that is so hard, such a hard thing to deal with. And I'm so grateful that there are people like you that not only know how to do it, but like to do it and do it well. Thank you. Uh, Linda Barnhart, could you share a little bit about your biography and how you came to join the current efforts towards supporting mental health services? Yes. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Leanne, for having both Dr. Marie and I on today. We're really excited to be here and to share um, more information about Nexus and what the um, treatment is, is occurring and the work that they're doing. But my background is I am a nurse, and that's one of the things with this whole program is once a nurse, always a nurse. Um, that was enticing to me. I've <laughs> okay. listened to a couple of your programs, but it is really true that once you become a nurse, you're always a nurse. And mm-hmm. at least that's how I feel deep down, and the passion that comes with that is so important. I, ha- I was an LPN first and a registered nurse and went back for my master's in leadership and worked in a couple of facilities here within the Twin Cities and as an oncology nurse into the eating disorder side of it and different kind of programs um, along nursing. As nurses know, you can get into almost any specialty and that's the exciting thing about nursing. But I, um, I moved into nursing leadership and into healthcare leadership and retired this um, January of 2018. And as after my retirement, I really was considering how to give back to the community, and I was really motivated by two factors. First was to use and build upon my 40-plus years in healthcare, and I have a real passion for excellence in clinical care and quality, and I wanted that to be able to give back to the community for that and the opportunity to expand my knowledge because for me... Um, I just think it's all about learning and that I have learned a tremendous amount about youth and family services and the complexity inherent in the system today. And I actually sought out opportunities to be on a board, and I was very fortunate to land with Nexus because they have given me the opportunity to grow and expand my knowledge and to share my talents not only in the state of Minnesota, but also across the country in North Dakota, Illinois, and Maryland. And it's been just a great opportunity for me to be able to learn um, as a board member from across and across the nation and um, to work with this passionate leadership at Nexus. 
That's fantastic. I am counting on the boomers as we continue to uh, retire, and I guess it's happening in the thousands uh, every day, um, that we will not step aside, but we will step in and, um, you know, maybe get involved in things that we didn't have time for or uh, whatever, or perhaps uh, like you, where you have some experience and background and you want to be able to utilize it and share it. So um, we will come back to talking about nurses on boards um, toward the end, but let's get back into, um, uh, Dr. Murray, if you could talk a little bit about um, how does trauma impact a child, a family, school, community, what all happens when um, someone in the family, uh, and especially the child, is having traumatic um, issues? Oh, yeah, thank you for that um, question. And I'm wondering if maybe I could spend a little bit of time just talking briefly about trauma because different people can and define that because different people may yes. come at that from a different place. I know, um, you know, from a medical field standpoint, trauma can be have physical symptoms of, say, a car accident or some other event that's occurred. And the space that we work in is more of the emotional physical trauma space, Um, and when you look at trauma, it's really a result from experiences that are devastating, like a devastating event or a series of devastating events over somebody's lifetime. So it can be one episode or it can be chronic over time, and usually trauma results from an emotional response that somebody's having to that event, and oftentimes in a very extreme case, it can be where a child or an individual feels like their life Um, is at risk or at stake or wondering if they will survive. But trauma can be a a lot of different things, and trauma can also be experienced differently by every single individual. So sometimes Mm -hmm. we really have to find out from the person what trauma means for them and what it's resulting in. But trauma can be something like a loss or a death. It can be physical, sexual, emotional abuse, neglect. It can actually even be observing community violence, Um, or observing violence in the home, um, any types of abandonment. So trauma can take on, you know, a lot of of different things. But when we see this manifest in the work that we do is when we're talking about mental health in particular, sometimes it's difficult to know, you know, what is a mental health issue versus what is trauma and what are Mm -hmm. the symptoms of trauma itself. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people with mental health symptoms or, or true mental health disorders can be more vulnerable to experiencing trauma and having that trauma event really affect them. Uh, other times we know that people can be very resilient um, to the trauma experiences they have. And so that's where you have to really look individually at every individual and really try to understand what's at play in their life, in their environment, and mm-hmm. how the trauma is affecting them, if that's occurred or not, and then if there are mental health issues, because the mental health issues and the reactions to the trauma can lead to certain behavioral um, activities or symptoms mm-hmm. that you want to understand on an individual level. Right. And then, as you said, um, it's not just that one person, but then everyone that's in contact with that individual has some uh, uh 
effect of it also. And and then I have to think that personality, um, both of the individual and the family, kind of the family dynamics, has to play into that. And one thing I'm wondering about is like the difference between whether you are um, an introvert or an extrovert, uh, on whether you're able to or wish to come forward and speak about the trauma that you've had. Yeah, you know, personality, you're bringing up a really good point on that, that somebody's character or their personality traits can really um, lend itself to trauma as well, and or even just mental health issues in general. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why, you know, Leanne, you were mentioning earlier, why maybe it's been difficult for our society to really grapple with mental health issues and why it became such a... Um, you know, back in the 70s and and before that time, why it was hard to understand and how to treat it and why maybe we didn't always do such a good job because it's such an inexact science because we're dealing Mm -hmm. with individual people who have all of these things that come into play, right? Like you mentioned, their individual characteristics, their personality, their DNA, their environment. Um, And we're not just talking about a family environment, which has huge effects, but also a community environment Mm -hmm. and a cultural environment and all of these things that can come into play with um, that ripple effect of of how somebody experiences that. And there is a, a, a huge field right now where people are looking at resiliency, which gets, I think, at the heart of what you just brought up in terms of how do these things play an effect on an individual? Like how will they talk about their mental health issues or their trauma? You know, and it's something that we don't really fully understand yet is this idea of resiliency. What makes Mm -hmm. one person be able to grapple better with their experiences than, you know, um, another person? And what they're looking at is the supports that that person has around them and you know, what else happens for them. You know, we have a, we have a client that I think has, she had a beautiful quote around her own kind of resiliency. And, you know, she had dealt with a lot of abuse in her life and is, has been on her own. Her family did not have really the, the resources and the support to, to help her through her thing. So she was really on her own with this. And she said, I can never go back and make some of the details pretty. All I can do is move forward and make the whole beautiful. And that is such a wonderful quote from somebody who clearly has some really great characteristics that's feeding into her own ability to be resilient. But her supports around her also really helped her um, come to who she really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is absolutely so, so important. Um, so talk about how when this child, let's say it's a child that comes to you, what happens then? Who, who are you when you're welcoming that child? And then how do you serve? Um, and, and just um, what, what happens from there? Okay. Um, so when we have a child and a family present themselves to one of our services, the first thing that we would really do is really in-depth understand that child and their family and what their needs are and their experiences. So this kind of gets away from the cookie-cutter style of really understanding their story. I mean, it's really Mm -hmm. about their story, what they've experienced, how they see and how they perceive their experiences, and then Mm -hmm. what they've been through, and then helping them identify what it is that they really feel needs to be worked on. And then that's when we can kind of get to know 
for that family and that child and that individual, okay, so is it is it a trauma issue we are dealing with or is it a mental health issue or, or is it a combined experience that we're trying to tease out and work on? And then we really try to partner with that child, individual, family, and the supports of that child and family to help really identify what needs to be addressed um, and, and where they need the most help and support. And our welcoming, you know, we really have to be very cognizant of when you're dealing with severe mental health and severe trauma, we have to be in a position as an organization and our wonderful staff that, that know this and are trained on this of you have to interact differently with people to understand where they're coming from. Um, we, when you have somebody who comes in with mental health disorders and trauma, you want to make sure that you're not re-triggering um, mm-hmm. an event that they've occurred be- that's occurred mm-hmm. before in their life and or a perception of an event that's occurred in their life. And mm-hmm. so you want to be very welcoming, very collaborative, very partnership-driven. Um, we spend a lot of one-on-one time with everybody. Um, we We get a lot of information about their trauma. We try to be youth-guided and family-driven and very trauma-informed when we're working with our clients. So that brings up another topic of you have um, staff and and um, healthcare providers who have their own issues. They have their own personalities, and sometimes those personalities don't jive with the client or the client's family. So is that something that you have to be aware of also? Is is this working for everybody? Um, and are you able to change providers if this is not working for a family? Yeah, you bring up a really good point. You know, because we're all human beings, we mm-hmm. all come with our own experiences and our own from our own environments and our own perceptions. And sometimes our best staff are those who have been through some mental health issues themselves as well as trauma where they can really understand where families and children are coming from. But mm-hmm. what we try to do is really provide a lot of training for our staff on how to differentiate between sort of what's their own stuff, we like to say, versus mm-hmm. what someone else's stuff is and try to recognize those own signals inside. And it does take a lot of insight for people to be aware of that. It takes a lot of teamwork with supportive um, colleagues as well as supervisors to be able to process the issues that might come up in the work that we do because our staff can get themselves in a situation where they're triggered by somebody else's behavior or mm-hmm. actions or right. reactions, and we have to be really grounded in that. One, one position that we have found to be very helpful within our field and it's becoming more popular, is we have like a parent partner. And that basically mm-hmm. becomes a parent advocate where that, that person can help really help the entire staff team be aware of the supports that that parent needs, but then how the staff might be reacting and knowing, okay, do you need to take a break from this? And yes, we will change, you know, therapists or particular primary staff at different times if, if an issue can't, if a staff member can't deal with a particular issue, but we have to create an environment within our organization that it's okay to talk about those things, that mm-hmm. it's okay to bring up, hey, I might be having a reaction to this particular client or 
child or parent or family member so that we can process through that and, and make a change if we need to or work through that. You know, that is such such an important thing, what you're talking about, learning how to speak to these um, touchy subjects or, um, you know, some people might say conflictual st- subjects. Uh, my experience is that a vast majority of people want to just ignore, avoid, whatever that has to do with um, a conversation that might be uncomfortable. And I think it's because nobody gets trained or very few people get trained in how to actually carry on those conversations. So it seems to me we need that kind of help in the schools, in, you know, job sites, everywhere. But um, getting back to this, um, so... Talk a little bit about um, how the medical field and behavioral health field can work together, because for a long time that seemed like it was quite separate. Yes, it was very separate, and I think what's great about where the field is going is we're learning a lot, so much about trauma and mental health and how it impacts uh, and the, the brain. And I think it's the brain field and the brain science that's helping us bring together the mental health field and the behavioral health field with the medical field because mm-hmm. we can see now that these things are really impacting the function of the brain, that it's literally shifting um, the synopses in the brain and how the brain is firing and that we can actually make an impact on that and rewire the brain. But that's where the medical field is so valuable to that behavioral health to our industry in behavioral health and mental health because we've got doctors and nurses who do a tremendous amount of work with patients on their physical health, and we know now that there's a huge tie between um, trauma experiences that people have and mental health experiences and and the physical health that results. The physical health can also be symptoms to trauma and mental health, and it's so valuable to have that medical field connected more around that. And I think it's the brain science that's that bringing that connection, but that's a necessary. And I think that's exactly one of the reasons why Linda became so valuable to be on our board is because mm-hmm. I was looking for a stronger medical health perspective and a nursing health um, perspective specifically, knowing that we really need to work together to solve issues regarding the whole child and the whole family. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you say about how we can now um, do maps of the brain. We can see um, when different parts of the brain are working or not working. Um, it seems like for so long, because it was in that space in the brain where nobody knew very much about it, uh, it was very easy to put it aside. The word that I heard used a lot is it's all in your head meaning that you're making it up or that it is not real um, uh, because nobody else can see what it is you're experiencing. So it's interesting that now the medical field is willing to come forward when they have something concrete that they can look at. Linda, I just want to mention briefly, um, if you move the mouthpiece away from your mouth, I think we're getting the breathing on it. Um, What are your thoughts as you hear um, Dr. Murray uh, talk about these things. Is there anything that strikes a chord for you that you'd like to put in here? Yes, I think that there is. There, um, as nurses, and you know, that's my background, so it's it's really strong in there. We see that there there is a correlation, and I think it when we look at 
some of the research that's been done, and I did a little bit of searching into this when I when I accepted the role on the board at Nexus. I wanted to learn a little bit more about that correlation between medical and and the mental health issues, and and. I found out that there is some real correlation between childhood trauma and health issues, and that's really been been looked at since the 1990s when they've been doing research on that. And I was talking with Michelle prior to this that um, it was a study that was on adverse childhood experiences, or mm-hmm. what they call ACEs, mm-hmm. and they had done some some research into that, and they found that there were there were many different childhood experiences that occurred that were impacting adults um, who had four or more yeses to their ACE questions. And as mm-hmm. a result, they were finding that they were having more depression. There was potentially more cancer, addiction, diabetes, stroke, those kinds of things. So there is a connection based yes. on what I have done some reading on. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Um, so, Dr. Murray, talk a little bit about what is the effect of trauma. You know, maybe use a common trauma that you see a lot on the brain and how it functions. Well, um, what trauma will do, and particularly trauma that is more um, chronic over time, will do this. It will literally the the brain will rewire itself according to it's like a survival mode. The brain will rewire. Uh, the way that it makes sense of the experience um, in order to protect, to protect literally, um, it's a very powerful, our, our bodies and our brains are very powerful in terms of the way that it can protect somebody in their survival mode. And the brain will literally shift according to that experience over and over and over again and help the individual make sense of it, help the individual be prepared for it happening again, and what happens is the brain will um, come to make sense of different interactions or behaviors from others or um, approaches from others as perhaps meaning something different than what they're intended to mean because the brain is used to being in that trigger environment. And so what will often happen is to somebody who hasn't experienced the trauma, they may understand it if a, if a teacher is using a strong tone with a child mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. hey, I better pay attention and do something different. Whereas a child who's experienced a lot of trauma, who's, who's experienced that, there may be more of a fight or flight reaction that the brain has basically revolved itself around in order to protect that child. And so mm-hmm. then the child reacts in a different um, manner to that behavior. And then what results, what we end up seeing are maybe some behavior difficulties or a child who's not getting along, or a child who's not being responsive. And it's literally their brain interpreting that behavior differently that leads to that. And so I think, you know, Leanne, when you mentioned before about we used to just think it was all in your head, these are very Mm -hmm. real experiences um, that children and, and adults will go through when they experience chronic trauma over time is literally they will perceive things differently than maybe somebody else would who has not gone through that experience. And we know that our perceptions is what leads to our behavior and how we respond and how we act. Exactly. And so much leads into that. Um, We are at a good place, I think, for a break. 
And so we will do that right now. Um, Today's episode, we're talking about specialized mental health services for children, youth, and families. My guests today are Dr. Michelle Murray and Linda Barnhart from Nexus, uh, the Nexus organization. We've been talking a lot about uh, mental health in general and now getting a little bit more specific about how the brain works when um, there is trauma surrounding it. So we will return in just a few minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thank you so much for returning uh, after the break. Uh, Again, we're talking about specialized mental health services for children, youth, and families. My guests today are Dr. Michelle Murray 
uh, who is CEO of the Nexus organization, and Linda Barnhart, who sits on their board. We've just been talking about a, a wide variety of things, but what we just were talking about is the effect of trauma on the brain and how that might impact how the body functions or even how the brain functions. So um, one suggestion or one example that uh, Dr. Murray gave us was what happens in a classroom uh, with a very traumatized child and even just the voice or how the the teacher interacts with with all of the children would be perceived differently by each of the children. So, Dr. Murray, would there be another example you could share that would help bring that home for people? Yeah, and, you know, just uh, I think a good example would be, let me talk about a little girl. Um, her name is Josie, and I, I say a little girl. She An example of this would be she was more like 12 or 13, but very much acted much younger than that due to her trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she came to us um, to get some help because she had been living with her grandparents. Her parents had had a lot of struggles and was out of the picture. And her grandmother did not have a lot of resources to really care for her in the way that we would typically want or see. Mm-hmm. And what would happen with Josie is she spent many years of her life basically tied to a bed, chained to a bed in a bedroom with the door shut and would get her food only at certain times. And she was really deprived. And again, we talk about chronic trauma. That is chronic trauma Mm -hmm. over time. She Mm -hmm. was really surviving by someone just having very little interaction with her and only getting food a certain amount of time. And throughout her, you know, young growing years, when the brain is developing, this has a much greater impact than on an adult brain that's fully developed. So Mm -hmm. you can imagine that her experiences are being formed by this and her brain is being formed by this. And so by the time that we got her, due to all of that neglect and and that type of abuse, she was not functioning at the age of of a 12 or 13 year old. And you can, mm-hmm. you can usually have expectations for a 12 or 13-year-old that when you tell them or ask them to please do something, that they understand you and they can respond to that. Well, that was not the case with Josie. She couldn't process that same information. And so the first thing you have to do is understand, okay, what, what developmental age is she really acting at? She's not really a 12 or 13-year-old. Her brain is more like a 6- or 7-year-old. And mm-hmm. when we were working with her, Oftentimes, she would, um, throughout her life when she was with her grandmother, she would be under her bed. It was kind of her safe place. Mm -hmm. And when we had other clients who maybe were getting rowdy or loud, as children will often do, and children Mm -hmm. who might have a struggling, and and if they're yelling or something, she would become very um, reactionary to that, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And that would scare her and, and put her into a really negative state. And so she would immediately want to go hide under her bed where she was living um, with us in our facilities. And our staff had to be very individualized with her around, right now it's okay for her to go under her bed because that's the only thing that she knows is safe. Whereas normally we wouldn't want someone hiding under their bed. But we would approach it from a very soft, gentle place. But for Josie, she was acting in our facility as a much younger child based on that environment. And you know, she would want to play with dolls, so we brought dolls in for her. That's a developmentally different place for than for a 12 or 13-year-old who, who maybe would not go through that trauma. And so we would have to allow her to be that 6- or 7-year-old that she really was 
and and help her experience relationships differently than than what she was experiencing during that trauma. And slowly wow. over time, somebody like Josie didn't have to go and hide under her bed. She could learn that she could just go to her room and take a break or go to her room and just be on top of her bed taking that break versus hiding under that bed. And if we didn't understand where that behavior was coming from, that's a very normal experience for somebody like Josie where maybe it wouldn't be a normal experience for you or for Linda or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an incredible experience. So um, I, I was... Where would you like to go from here? Would you like to talk a little bit about um, how all of the the um, the work you're doing intersects with medical treatment? You had mentioned that that is more interse- interrelated now than it has been in the past. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, it's been great for us to work with the medical field more um, on a national level in our entire mental health space mm-hmm. because I think that doctors and nurses have more access to the average person out there when people are coming in for doctor's appointments and they're coming in to get help on things. And where I would advocate is for that, that, that alliance between mental behavioral health and physical health to be stronger so that we can all be aware of the symptoms that people are experiencing so that they can get help on many, many levels. Because when people are dealing with severe mental health and trauma, they really need to have the help of everybody involved and everybody to really understand. Um, and I, I think, you know, Linda, I don't know if you want to speak something to what the medical field would, um, how helpful that is to have that connection with behavioral and mental health when you're trying to address um, the medical issues that people go through. Well, thank you, um, Dr. Murray. I think that there is a connection. And as I had spoken about earlier, as we see what we learn from through the behavioral and mental health field, what individuals and youth go through and throughout this trauma, it really does have effect on their health. And so when primary care physicians or internists or the pediatrician or the nurse or healthcare worker see some early signs of trauma concern, that is where the partnership between the behavioral health and mental health and the medical field is so important because education is needed, I think, on these early signs of stress and how to intervene and what can be done is key. So we could, the medical field could really learn a lot more, I think, from the behavioral mental health field on what the early signs are. I know that... um, a lot may think, you know, that they know what those early signs are, but I know I just in the site visits that I have done with Nexus and just with my discussion with some of the staff and that I'm learning more and more as time goes on around what those signs and symptoms are. And as Michelle had talked about, when I had heard about what is trauma, like youth that experience trauma, I was thinking more so of that emergency center trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. when you talk about trauma, it really is a psychological and emotional trauma that has a great impact on individuals. So the partnership is very important. Do you think that there is more education that's being done 
in the medical field. Uh, I know nurses, particularly, I guess that's the area I know, are so busy on the units, and I know just getting them away for any kind of um, in-service is so difficult to do, and much less getting all of the employees at a hospital um, to have that information. Yeah, I think that I think that um, it's important to have that, and to do I think that there's more that's happening. Um, I think that it's it is in the works, and that with different kinds of conferences and things like that, it does happen. But like you said, nurses are really busy, and when you talk about nurses in hospitals, they are busy on units, and and even the the home care nurses and. And the clinic nurses are all very busy at the work that they do. But I think the the great thing about nurses is that they really do look at that whole person. I know that was taught to me. Um, what is that? What is the effect on that whole person? And sometimes I think nurses can kind of get tied into one thing and what that one symptom is. But what effect is that having on that whole person is something that could continue to have more emphasis. So we all relearn and learn things every day. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, Dr. Murray, anything else you'd like to add to that uh, conversation? Yeah, I you know, one thing that I have been really impressed with, and I think we all need more education, no matter what field it is, about trauma and mental health. So I think we all have room to still learn. I think our society is learning. But one thing that I've been really impressed with, you know, if you, if, I don't know if this has occurred for you, but I know it's happening for a lot of people. You know, when you go into your regular doctor for your doctor visit, you know, they're starting to ask the question, are you safe? Mm-hmm. You know, is there something happening for you? And I know they all ask it in a different way. But that's a great step towards recognizing that you have the opportunity to interface with somebody who may not be safe or who may mm-hmm. be going through something. Sometimes people aren't aware of the effect that their um, life issues are having on them. And so I think the more educated doctors and nurses in all the fields are that, that intersect with children and families to ask the questions sometimes will help get to the real issues going on. One thing then, with children and youth is that, one, they probably don't have the language to express what's going on for them, and two, they're relying on the parent who might actually be the abuser uh, who is speaking for them and therefore you know, covering whatever the truth is to the doctors and nurses. That has to be an issue also. Oh, definitely. It's definitely an issue, and I think, Leanne, you really hit on... Um, something about trauma and even mental health is people don't really even understand what is occurring for them, especially Mm -hmm. a child. They can't really understand. To them, what they're experiencing in their world is normal. And so they're not going to come out and just say to a teacher or to a neighborhood person or to somebody else, a, a, you know, medical health professional, hey, this is occurring to me because Mm -hmm. it's all that they know. It's all, and, and you're right, there could be adults that are you know, hiding that information as well. And so I think we have to be educated about what the physical signs and symptoms look like and, and somewhat, some of the behavioral signs as well. If you have a child who is continuing to shut down on various levels, that might be a really good indication that something is occurring. And um, we need to pay attention to those, those red flags, 
so to speak, that may come could, up. Could you in speak our more to what those signs are? What are some of the things you might? And I imagine they'd be different in the different age groups. But um, say for a child under five, what are some of the things you might, as a healthcare provider, what might you watch for uh, that might give you a hint? Um, I would say for a child who's under five, it would be a lot of tantruming behavior. It could be a lot of um, early violence behavior, just, you know, kicking, hitting, biting, um, being more aggressive with other people. They may use words that you would only typically hear from an adult, like mm-hmm. cursing words or other mm-hmm. kinds of demanding types of language or words in their tone that they're clearly learning or hearing from others. Um, pulling away, they may act like they want to be close to you, but then if you try to interact with them positively, they kind of act out against you um, and push. It's a feeling like, why does that child push me away? It's that kind of a feeling. Um, And just being, uh, they can either be, or severely just really withdrawn. They can either be very kind of aggressive with their peers or just very, very withdrawn. Um, Sometimes, Kids having certain odors can can lead to signs that something right is not that something wrong is happening in that child's life. Those are some of the big bigger signs. What kinds of odors can you describe? What that would be? What they might be able to identify? Um, I would say like they're not being bathed over mm-hmm. a long period of time. That kind of a of an odor, or they're just not taking care of themselves. Um, that mm-hmm. can sometimes be a sign that not, perhaps not there's some neglect going on and... there or some abuse, not clean clothes, not um, clean belongings. And it's more than just maybe that child doesn't have enough clothes because we want to be careful that people don't, you know, assume that if somebody doesn't have a nice wardrobe or they're not changing their clothes every day that that something bad mm-hmm. is going on. But right. it's it's more than that. It's clothes inside out, clothes wrong side, um, clothes that don't fit, that there's just no sense of um, personal acknowledgement about what I look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Hair and teeth and some of those things too. Um, so um, I, I'm trying to think there's so much in this topic that um, I know that that you're dealing with some things that are relatively new uh, one of them that came to mind for me was the um, the gender bred person. Uh, when I was looking on your website, which is excellent, by the way, I do want to just uh, mention that your website is nexus hyphen yf as in Frank s dot org. So youth family services. Um, it's just an excellent website, and I, I hope that people will go on that and check it out. So talk a little bit about this whole gender thing. Um, I first heard about gender uh, about five or six years ago when I was mentoring a college student, and that was the first that I'd ever heard of these so many different identifications of gender Um is it a relatively new thing, or is it something that's always been there and just not talked about as much as it is now? I think the latter, for sure. I think it's something that's always been there and just not talked about and or addressed, or people mm-hmm. being open to supporting those experiences. And I think um, a whole other topic that we don't have time to get into, but you okay. know, kids who are expending gender identity issues experience bullying 
more than other people, and that's what I mean by a whole new topic right. here, right? We could spend an hour talking about children who experience being bullied by other people and kids on who are struggling with gender identity issues and meaning that, you know, they, they feel like they're one gender that they're, maybe they're not um, from a physical appearance standpoint, but they feel that on the inside. Mm-hmm. And those children can often have lots of questions for themselves and have a lot of doubts and their, their experience of themselves is different than how people are treating them or the expectations that people have on them. And that can lead to a lot of self-esteem issues and self-doubts and questions. And, you know, we, one of our specialties is to work with kids who are struggling with that gender identity issue just because those children are often very misunderstood. And so it leads to a lot of conflict for them, and sometimes that conflict can mask itself like a mental health issue or like trauma when that's not really what the issue is. The child just doesn't have the proper support to work through the confusion that they might feel in relation to how people treat them. Yeah, and in those early years... In those early years, it's so easy for, you know, especially parents, you have this child. I was a labor and delivery nurse. And so, you know, it's all around. You've been wishing and hoping and thinking about this child and it finally arrives. And and then it's kind of like what you want to put on that child of who that child is. Uh, whereas I remember one mother talking about um, to her child, tell me who you are. Um, even as a as a newborn baby, and that was such a an interesting thing. I hadn't thought of it that way before, and that's kind of what we have to do: is stand back and and observe our child and see who is this person different than what exactly. I might expect or or even think I want. So. Um, I know that is a big subject, and actually the whole bullying thing, if you would be willing to come back again sometime and talk about that issue, I would love to have you on. Okay, well, let's let's plan on that. Um, So we're coming to the end or near to the end of our show, and so I wanted, um, Dr. Murray, if you could share if there was just one thing or the most important thing that you want healthcare providers and nurses to know about this subject, what would that be? You know, I would say to keep going down the course of intersecting our fields between the medical field and the behavioral mental health field and keep asking questions and keep being curious about how, what the impact is of people's experiences on their, their medical health. Because we know from what Linda brought up earlier, people now with that Kaiser Permanente study on the ACEs, people with four more ACEs, which is four or more types of trauma, have a higher um, propensity towards heart disease. So we know that they're linked. And I think that the more our medical field knows what questions to ask and try to understand their patients from an entire whole person perspective, they might be able to get access to something that that person's experiencing or has experienced in trauma and get them the kind of help that they need um, because you're going to treat that differently than you will a broken arm or even mm-hmm. the heart disease. And, sure. and if the medical field can recognize that, hey, I've got somebody here who has heart disease and here's some factors that maybe are coming from their health and their physical part of their body, but here's the things that are coming from a, a mental health and a, a behavioral part of the body, then they can get them the help that they need so that you're addressing the whole child. 
It strikes me as you and Linda were as you and Linda were talking about education of healthcare providers that schools have to be brought into this too because again they're spending the most time with these children and if they don't understand these things um, it it could undo a lot of the work that you are doing. Uh, Linda, talk to me. Um, I know that you have Another interest, and that is on uh, nurses on boards. And I actually did have an, another um, guest on, I think almost a year ago now, uh, where we talked about that whole concept of nurses on boards. Um, and it's, it's a lot of people I'm finding have never heard of it and wonder why would you have nurses on boards that are not even healthcare. So, Linda, tell, tell us a little bit about that. You've got a couple minutes. Thank you. Yes, there is the Nurses on Boards Coalition, and that coalition represents nursing and other organizations that are working to build healthier communities in America by increasing the nurses' presence on boards. And those can be corporate boards or health-related or other boards, um, commissions, that kind of thing. Um, The goal of that coalition, I learned about it through a mentor of mine who had told me that um, this coalition is going on and that what it what it does is it's trying to it's trying to ensure that nurses are at the table and the goal is to fill at least 10,000 board seats by 2020 and to raise awareness that all boards would benefit from the perspective of a nurse that the nurses are um, a very well respected um, profession and I think it's a most trusted profession and as a result this coalition which is working with these other agencies and other organizations is really promoting this. It convened in 2014. I think it went into um, where they have a website now. We, we just have a minute do. or so. Maybe you can tell us okay. um, how many are on boards now. Yep. Are we, we're almost at 2020. Yes, it's almost 2020, and the goal is to get 10,000. Right now, as of October 31st, there are 6,636 nurses that have um, signed in that they're on a board. And and so this website is a great website to go to because you get education on how to serve on a board. Can you share that website? Because I'm going to have to take us out right away here. So um, what is the website? It's the Nurses on Boards um, coalition.org. Okay, say that again so everybody gets it. Nurses on Boards Coalition.org. And if you just Google Nurses on Boards Coalition, Nurses on Boards Coalition, you can pull it right up and it has a right. lot of information. Fantastic. That is so exciting. Um, So, yes, we are uh, definitely at the end here of our show. Um, So we've been talking about specialized mental health services for children, youth, and families. And I am so grateful to Dr. Michelle Murray, CEO for Nexus, and also Linda Barnhart, who is on their board uh, also from Nexus. So uh, thank you so much for being here. And thank you all out there for listening. Um, As of today, actually we have hit a hundred thousand listeners in um, over 60 countries so thank you for listening for sharing for telling other people and um, uh, if you are someone who would like to support this program uh, definitely let us know through leanne voice america at gmail.com thank you again and we will talk again next week 
Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.